you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 157 of 8-Bits Interview Podcast, powered by Audio-Technica. I'm your host, John O'Peck. For the last time, this is the final Putting In Work episode. I have James Rolfe on the podcast. How can I top that? The angry video game nerd. I've been trying to get James since episode 150, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. It was probably April or May last year that I first reached out to him, and he's such a busy dude, such a hardworking dude, that it's taken this long to finally get him on the show. I've been holding out. I've been keeping the podcast alive just to do this interview, so I'm so happy to finally get to sit down and chat with James, who is a legend of the internet in general. He is one of the very first big-name YouTubers, As the Angry Video Game Nerd, I think I first discovered him in like 2007 or 2008. If you don't know who he is, if you're not one of his three and a half million YouTube subscribers, James basically reviews very old and very bad video games in the character of the Angry Video Game Nerd. These videos have grown to have a really high production value, utilizing all of James' skills as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and a comedian. He's got more than two billion YouTube views over that time for the past decade or so has ventured more into out of character content, let's plays, real reviews, letting the audience in on the lives of him and his close friends. Despite the angriness of his character, he really is the nicest guy. I can vouch for that through my interactions with him. Um, Just how much time he's taken to unnecessarily apologize for the fact of how busy he is and how long it's taken to do this so it was a true privilege to chat with James for my final episode I'm not going away completely I'm going to keep making content for 8-bit and I've been leaning more towards video game focus anyway especially with the way that I've been moving into game development and writing so I want to keep talking to game devs and there's going to be a home for that on the Hungry Gamers podcast feed which I'll talk about at the end of the episode so stay tuned for that but if you're just here for James Rolfe, here he is, the creator of Cinemassacre and the Angry Video Game Nerd. Enjoy the show. Thanks so much for joining me. It's awesome to have you on the show. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. I just want to say, first of all, like I consider you an icon of the industry and I think that you've been hugely influential on that. It's, it's really paved the way for so many podcasters, YouTubers and commentators in general. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad that what I've done has inspired people. So that means a lot to me. Yeah, cool. Now that that's out of the way, today I'm going to take you back to the past (laughs) before all that and uh, look at how this all started for you. So was it ever a thought that crossed your mind that this could be your life? Or, you know, I think that it probably was more of a filmmaking background that you probably saw yourself leading down as college years came to you. Yeah, I started just making uh, homemade movies in my backyard, and then that evolved. You know, you start to do things like that. You never know exactly where it's going to end up. Uh, you just do whatever you enjoy. And um, at that time, I was I was trying all different kinds of art, but film was what I landed on. I felt like it was kind of a uh, combination of all the arts because in film you have you have acting, you have have set design you music every type of art is in film so that's kind of what drew me to it and at at times i thought about doing animation seemed a little lonely to me because it was just a lot of hours just like drawing and 
being alone. I kind of like filming movies because then you're kind of, you know, just messing around with your friends and having fun. When I was about 15 is when I started taking it seriously. When I started thinking, oh, yeah, I want to go for this. This is what I'm going to do for a living. Yeah, there was no YouTube, nothing like that. So you never knew. You, you never really knew how it was, where it was going to go. And then then at a certain point, things fall together. And that's how it um, how it all happens. And so how did you see that playing out with the internet obviously being a different thing to what it is now? How, how did you see that as a path forward? Or did it kind of just happen progressively over time? Yeah, I just had no idea. Um, it was at first it was all about just trying to find somewhere to show your work (laughs) and maybe make a few people laugh and, you know, mission accomplished. (laughs) But, uh, I didn't know that it would, you know, become that this was sort of like a beginning of, uh, of a big thing, you know, with, uh, you know, game reviewing and, uh, let's plays and there wasn't really anything like that before. So it's not something I thought about. I just, I just did what I was doing and then just let it all happen. It's funny thinking like as you developed the the nerd persona, if you thought that you'd be doing it for 20 plus years or whatever it ends up being, if, if you would have done it any differently, but it must be therapeutic to uh, be able to let the rage out in that kind of, of way, <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah, they're very therapeutic uh, to film uh, and to write. It's sort of like writing a, a game review, really. It's it's like you would as a as any any critic would, you know, review a film, except that you're going to record yourself speaking it after all said and done. So as you're writing it, you're kind of writing it in your own voice. And I I, I talk out loud when I write a lot too. Right. So I'll kind of be performing it as I'm typing it and be like, wait, it sounds better if I if I write it this way, you know. I'm a perfectionist with it. So I'll just redo a a sentence or paragraph over and over again until it flows, you know, natural. Um, But yeah, then once you go on camera, it's just, it's fun. It's, it's totally therapeutic. Yeah. That's cool. I I find those behind the scenes videos you've done really interesting just to see that process. So yeah, I can definitely see that there's a lot that goes into it. I know like as, as you move from the website to YouTube, that obviously became the place for your content. Um, and a lot of YouTubers have kind of struggled to like keep up with the algorithm and stay ahead of it and uh, work through that barrier, adjusting to the algorithm of YouTube as like, this is what we're going to show people in their feed. Like y- your thumbnail has to look like this. The video has to be this long for it to get promoted and that kind of thing. Is that something that's been an issue for you? Or do you think that your audience has been so large that you've kind of been above that particular issue? Yeah, I don't think that way at all when i'm writing it but i have people helping who try to you know help it get seen more um so that is uh something we do sure but it's never the first thing it's always uh make the video we want to make first and then see how you can get it seen um Hmm. like lots of the early things you know i started making before uploading to youtube uh didn't really think it through too much like who would see it or like how many people would bother watching it but uh you know it it surpassed what i expected <laughs> i think it's um yeah it's interesting to see the evolution of of your channel over the years not just like obviously cameras and editing mm-hmm. equipment becomes better and allows you to do more but the um the style that you 
that you present them in has changed a lot too. So is that something that is just a, a product of your own personal interest? Like to, to keep your interest, you have to evolve what you're doing, get crazier, get longer, get more cinematic as, as time goes on. Is that trying to entertain yourself as you, as you make the content? Uh, maybe I'm trying to think specifics. Uh, like they would sometimes there'd be a cinematic episode, but then we go back and do like a basic one and then we go cinematic again. So it's kind of like a wave. It's always uh changing. Um, I like to balance it out, keep it different. Uh, always keep it fresh, keep it fun. Hmm. And I guess eventually they changed to HD. I remember, uh, I think I was one of the last holdouts with that. I, I didn't do HD till later. I guess I yeah. was thinking more, more like some of the episodes have gotten a lot longer, a lot more complex, um, mm. a lot more like high, high concept, I guess, where there might be more of a story, mm. like the, the nerds part of the story is, is more than just... Yeah, uh, Rob the Robot one had a big story to it. That was very cinematic. Just recently... Um, I knew the Immortal episode was very ambitious. It was all one take. Uh, episode 200 had a big story arc with uh, creating a, a fake game. Well, actually, it was a real game. It's actually playable. But <laughs> creating a game that didn't exist till then. Like, let's make our own shitty game off of uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. The nerd tries to make it uh, better than the original and more faithful to the film, but ends up doing even worse than the game that he originally criticized. Brought it all full circle. Yeah, yeah, no, that was huge. That was a huge one. So, so is that something that you feel is is um, mm -hmm. it's just more fun to make something like that, or is it, oh, yeah, uh, it a way that you keep it fresh to to come up with different ideas than just here's a review? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all fun in their own ways. So it's just kind of like, what is it that you want to do that you're going to enjoy the most um, that you haven't done? And so, so the immortal it was like, let's do a one take episode. I've always wanted to do that. Um, I've always wanted to do a uh, choose your own adventure episode, which I haven't done yet, but it, it would be a little tougher to do on YouTube nowadays, but I think it could still be done. You just have to use the end cards, I guess, but it would be where you'd pick a different path for the character to do. Um, so I think that might be good. It might be, you have to find the game that's appropriate for it because there's probably a game out there that has that same, you know, type of thing like a choose-your-own-adventure type game, yeah. but one that would be good for the nerd to review. I'm not sure what that would be yet. Maybe like a Wing Commander or something like that. Maybe, yeah, like one of those FMV games or something. Interesting. Okay. Um, so what what's changed the most for you is in mm. terms of your process? Because I imagine back when it was just mm -hmm. you and maybe another person with a camera, it was very simple. And now there's probably a full team that's, like you've alluded to, involved in some of this stuff. Um, Very little. It's almost almost identical the whole process uh to the point where i feel like i have deja vu like it's it's <laughs> definitely like the same type of writing process and everything it depends on the episode really it just depends like if is this an episode that needs a crew or is this an episode that's just real simple it's just me and the camera like some of them will be like i'll have somebody help me with the special effects with the editing you know and also while they're editing i'll typically be writing the next one while that's happening so it gets more of a flow yeah we've definitely had it down to a science it's pretty much like a thing of habit now it's it's uh been doing it for so long it feels exactly the same 
which sometimes I'm always like, oh, have I done this game before? Or have I done this thing? Like I'm always trying to make sure that it's different enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not repeating, t- repeating too much. It's okay. Sometimes, you know, uh, familiarity is good. The nerd has certain catchphrases you expect to hear sometimes. But I was trying not to keep it all like exactly the same. And over the years, if we go back to, I guess, maybe when YouTube first came into it for you, what was the process like for you to allow this side hobby to become more and more part of your life? And at what point were you able to say, I I really need to commit more time to this because it's actually going to be like my career or my legacy or however you look at it? Yeah, it it, uh, it was very gradual. I was, uh, you know, working other jobs at the same time and, uh, you know, really burning myself out. And then I was always thinking, you know, could this be something I could do full time? Can, can I do the nerd and do a web series full time as opposed to having it be like a thing I do when I get home from my job, you know, um, and like lose sleep over and everything. Yeah. So. I think at first it was a uh, uh, screw attack and game trailers. Um, very gradually, we would start getting paid uh, per uh, like per not per view, but like when it would reach like a certain amount of views, we would get paid for it. But we'd also have a flat fee up front. So. Uh, I remember at first it wasn't much, like it wasn't like a lot you could like live on, but it, as it went on, it started to become like, okay, I think I can do this full time now. So it was kind of, it was risky for sure. Like giving up your job to be able to do something with no health benefits, uh, (laughs) no, uh, you know, no health insurance. What is what I mean? And, uh, being self-employed, you know, it's definitely a different field. So, it takes a lot, you know, jump from something more established and comfortable to, you know, doing internet videos, which is kind of like the wild west at the time. Yeah. Like now it's more common, but, uh, back then it was, it wasn't so much. Definitely. I feel like you've shown a lot of restraint, um, as a, as a creator to, um, can obviously continue the nerd character for so long, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in your position would be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go off and I'm going to, go to Hollywood and be an actor or I'm going to do this or that. And um, I, I think you've shown a lot of restraint to keep it true to who you are because you don't seem like someone that um, necessarily wants <laughs> all the attention and all the fame and everything. Oh, uh, a- am I right about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. about uh, Are you right about uh, not being a person who tries to be famous uh, i don't know I, I just i just feel like the, the way that you've kept true to what the channel was when it started seems like a lot of people would go oh I've, i have uh, three million subscribers i can leverage this into x y and z and i'm gonna try oh, yeah. and and just do everything oh cool yeah 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 no the the nerd is the bread and butter of the channel and it's also uh it's so adaptable like you can take the nerd and do whatever you want with it really. So there's a lot of fun and flexibility with that. Uh, you know, like I want to have a, like say uh, I did a video last year, um, which was a spoof of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. So it was really cool to just go into that character from the movie. I can be, I can be Hunter S Thompson uh, and just adapt the nerds, lingo into uh 
his lingo and all the things I want to say about the game, say it the way he would say it. Like, like in the, in the book and and the film, he's talking about like the American dream and, and stuff and like how he's really like, you know, he's, it's real cynical and he's just talking about uh, things that were kind of sold to him that weren't really what they are. And the nerd is talking about games, how like the games were promised to him and they were going to be, uh, you know, these great games, but they were all just like, let them down. They were disappointing. And, um, and then that, that whole monologue at the end about, he's looking at the, you know, the wave, the wave that rolled back. If, if you, you know, a part I'm talking about, like that's very sentimental and it just fits so perfectly with the nerd and like the whole, uh, uh, nostalgia for the past. That's kind of like not what it seemed like oh these games weren't as good as i remembered and so there's like a lot of sadness in it but yeah it's like so you can do something like that with the nerd so you could always uh change it up and and that's what you know keeps it so fresh for me yeah i think it's it's been great also to see the kind of split of of the content where it's not all nerd as a lot of yourself as yourself whether it's playing games uh, with Mike or doing r- reviews of films and TV shows and yeah, just board games and like all kinds of things where you're letting us see James, not the nerd. So was that a big thing for you to let the audience in on that part of your life? Because oh. as I said before, you do seem fairly private and like the nerd <laughs> is definitely not you. Like you, you're very much <laughs> not this angry person for what I can tell. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh I I've always been described as a shy person who isn't really looking for attention or anything. I'm 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 very, you know, keep to myself. But there's always a contradiction because I do at some point like I of course I wanted to entertain. Of course I wanted people to see my work and enjoy it. So in that way I was seeking attention or seeking fame, but but not really. It was kind of just like, you know, half and half. Like I wanted people to see it, wanted people to enjoy it, but not trying to really be famous, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And and uh, doing things on the channel as myself, like out of character. Um, yeah, I think it was just inevitable that I was just going to just be real. Like Because in the beginning, I could have just gone about the whole thing as I'll just be the nerd all the time and allow people to just think that's really me. And I sometimes wonder what, what that would have been like if I did that. Um, cause at that time, I think for a very short period of time, uh, a lot of people probably thought that that really was me. And I, I, I think I was kind of like, Oh, well, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, that's just a character. And I would say that, but then I thought, Oh crap, well, I should have just let it be <laughs> what it is and just let, let them think that the character is the real thing because that would make it funnier or maybe it would get it more views. I don't know. But in the long run, though, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I kept it real. So I think just inevitably as it goes on, I'll just I just be my real self. So people get that from me. They get my my real uh, person. So I think they like that, you know, being honest. Yeah, that's that's really been um, a cool thing to see over the years. I'm sure it's come with... Um it's drawbacks like gamers and people these days are angrier and nerdier 
than ever. <laughs> and I think of something like the Ghostbusters review um, mm-hmm. where it was completely taken out of, or it wasn't even a review. It was just a video yeah, about yeah. not wanting to watch the movie and it was taken completely out of context. And that's probably, mm-hmm. um, from what I know, like the most criticism you've faced and particularly because it was unfair was that a difficult thing to process and is that the kind of reason that you're not so much um putting your thoughts and opinions on like social media as much as most people at your level would be uh yeah i don't know i mean that was kind of like a freak thing because all i because i didn't even say anything about the movie really other than just like oh the special effects don't look good and now it's uh you know the, the trailer looked very bad uh and I, I knew that reboots get that reputation a lot. Like a lot of times it's always about, oh, this we're going to trash this reboot because it's not like the original or whatever. But in that video, what I was trying to set an example of was, hey, if you don't like it, how about this? Here's a really good idea. How about just don't see it? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm not going to see this movie because it looks bad. And then that's that was the thing that was like attacked on but i don't know because i mean i know the thing was all about like the gender of the cast and i was like well i didn't say anything about the gender of the cast in fact though all those actors in it are great you know um i i think they're they're all you know really yeah. talented um just it was the movie i was talking about i didn't even mention the actors yeah so when something like that happens is is that difficult to process because people are saying things about you that are mis- misleading and mm-hmm. not true and yeah as i said before is that one of the reasons that you don't tweet out your thoughts about every single thing that pops up like a lot of people at your level do oh yeah yeah um yeah i know there's a lot of people that uh definitely uh tweet whatever i <laughs> know yeah i mean i only tweet something if i think it's interesting at all or like if someone will like to to see it or whatever it's like uh i don't know thoughts on a movie or uh sometimes an anniversary of an event like if oh remember this movie came out like uh 30 years ago or something something fun yeah the internet needs uh needs fun so so tell me is it 18 years or 20 years since uh the nerd first graced screens i'm trying to remember um I th- I think the easiest way to count it would just be YouTube. It was in the the early uh, days of YouTube, two thousand six. So like right. April two thousand six was when the channel was created, I believe. Okay. Um, that was when people would first see it. You know, there was a couple episodes made before that, but they were they were shared on like VHS tapes and sure, um, only seen by a small group of people. So they're on there now, though the Simon's Quest and Jekyll and Hyde episode. So okay, sure. With that amount of time behind you now, is it something where you reflect on the longevity and your legacy in terms of like the way that, you, as I mentioned before, you've influenced a lot of um, comedians on the on in oh, the yeah. gaming space, a lot of commentators and and personalities. Yeah, it's it's also nostalgic in the same way as the games were nostalgic at that time. So sometimes I'll make a reference to a video I made in two thousand six or something, and it's always a, it's cool to have that. Because then a lot of my viewers have experienced it in the same time frame where they they're remembering, you know, 2006 as much as I am. So we kind of have that to share now that we were all there 
I'm interested how it feels to to know that the work that you've done and I guess the fact that you were doing it before most other people, how does it feel to know that, that you've been such a big impact in people's lives as many people have now made a career doing similar things? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, people uh, tell me that all the time. It's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, what what can you say? It, it's it's really nice to hear that from people when they, you know, you know, say like that I inspired them in any kind of way, even if it's just in a in a regular general life kind of way, or if it's in like a creation kind of way, like I I made my channel because of you, or or even like you know I mean I program games because of you, or I uh, do music because of you, or whatever. Like it's it's always really awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, even like I had Pat Contrary on the podcast last year, and I think he talked about like the exposure he got through collaborating with you was a, a huge factor. And even though he's another person, we would look back as one of those like OGs of uh, gaming YouTubers. Um, I think watching what you were doing was even influential to him at the time. So that that's that's always pretty cool too. Yeah, OGs. Yeah, I've I heard that term recently. Yeah, no, it's really cool that um, that uh, people tell me I'm one of the originals. Uh, when I hear uh, uh, when you say OGs, I sound like it sounds like you're saying OGs, oh, <laughs> like you know, like oh, uh, J E E Z. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> so as you um, think back on you know that the time, the many years you've spent filming, writing capturing footage, editing, promoting, all, all that kind of stuff that's that's gone into this endeavor, what would you say has been like the hardest part for you to get through, like the biggest challenge, whether it's um, a technical thing or mm -hmm. a, a time management thing, like what, what would you say has been the thing that's challenged you along the way the most? Oh, of uh, like producing videos, what's the most challenging thing? Yeah, just of, of this whole endeavor that you've had, like what's been the, the toughest thing to to do because you know we're here talking about yeah, the hard yeah. work that it takes to make this kind of thing happen and i think that it's probably a lot that a lot more that goes into it than what um people would realize yeah yeah um i think it's just uh being a perfectionist or like trying to find when you're satisfied with uh to, to move forward because like when i'm auditioning the games it's challenging to uh pick the right game to come up with uh, the best jokes for it or the best material. Um, so lots of times I'm just going through like a, a bunch of different games and I'm like, ah, you know, this one could work, but nah, I think we got a better one. I, th I think we got something better or like you're writing the script and I'm like, nah, this could be a little better. This could be better. You know, it's always kind of uh, just trying to one up yourself all the time. I, I think it's always hardest getting the video started, but once it's started, uh, then the filming and everything starts to come a lot easier because then you're, you know what needs to be done and now you're just on a roll and you keep going until it's finished. Then as far as like challenges, it would just, it would kind of on a case by case basis, like what was challenging about each individual video. Um, but generally it's the hardest part's always getting it started. So just knowing that you have such a, large audience and a very vocal audience in terms of this video was awesome or this video sucked like does that change the way that you approach it or do you kind of clear that out of your head and just make what you think is going to work and not worry about necessarily the kind of feedback that you're getting yeah uh 
it doesn't. You just got to make sure you like it first before anybody else does, because you're going to hear lots of conflicting things if you if you uh, are trying to listen to too much feedback, because then it's I mean, listening to feedback is a good thing. But when it's too much, it's then you're going to hear conflicting things. Or that it sucks, but not specifically. Like you're not going to get specifics or anything that makes sense sometimes. So you'll start, you know, confusing yourself. Like you don't want to get confused. Like oh crap! Like what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? You're going to run your brain in circles. So you should do what you think is right. Do what um, you know, you think is going to make a good video. And if you like the video, if you think you did a good job and this is really awesome, then you know, you're good. And then whatever anyone says that after that point is just, you did your best. I'm, I'm interested what your advice is to people out there. And I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times over the years because you've been successful for a <laughs> long time. But what's your advice to people who want to make the type of content that you do uh, or even just turn their creative hobby into a career? Oh, yeah. Um the advice I give a lot is that uh, if you're trying to turn it into a career, there's not really like a magic moment when that happens and you're like, oh, everything's perfect now. I made my career happen because you're just going to want to keep creating. That's what you do. If you enjoy creating, then just keep creating. So when does that actually start? It's really when you first start doing it. So as long as you're doing what you enjoy, like you've already made it, like you're already successful as long as you're able to be able to do your your thing you enjoy whether it's a hobby or a career like i mean everything's a hobby when it starts and i i i, I love that word hobby because hobby is just fun so <laughs> i don't think it, it needs to be a career as long as like as long as you're able to support yourself as long as you're able to do what you do and uh pay the bills, everything, then, you know, you're successful there. But like how to get there, like how to get to, to make your hobby into a paying job. Like, I don't think there's a clear, there's a clear cut way for that to happen. It's just a lot of persistence, a lot of luck, just keep doing it. And then at a certain point, you'll be around at the right time in the right place where uh, like YouTube was something that didn't exist. And now it does. So who knows what's going to exist next? So just be ready for whatever that is when it comes and just keep doing what you're doing. And then then something will come along and all the pieces will fit together. That's cool. The last question that I have before we start to wrap things up, I ask everybody this, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, if I could do anything and know that I wouldn't fail. <laughs> to do anything. I mean, I'm already doing what I love, so I don't know. It's tough. Uh, what else would I do? Um, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, like, something I'm bad at. I got to think of something I'm really bad at, like, like skiing. I'm really bad at skiing. So maybe uh, now I'm probably thinking too hard on it because I'm going to sit here and think forever, but I'll just leave it at that, like skiing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably tough when, yeah, you've already made a movie, you've already made a game, like there's probably not a lot of things for you to check off the bucket list. I mean, is is there a list of stuff that you want to do that you haven't got to yet, aside from a choose-your-own-adventure video? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm recording an album of cover songs, but that's kind of just like 
it's on the side. It's like the main priority is like is the web videos, but I'm always fitting in something else too. I'm always like, okay, well, what's the other thing I want to do? You know? Yeah, cool. Well, that, they're the questions about you, I guess. But since I got a bit of extra time, I might just ask some stuff that I'm just generally interested in. Um, as um, sure, you know, someone who. You know, for me, you actually turned me onto retro games in a way that I hadn't been exposed to. Like, I grew up with a, you know, Sega Mega Drive or the Genesis and skipped pretty much Nintendo because of that. So, watching your videos was my first exposure to some of those older games. And from there, I got the interest in, you know, Mega Man and, and going back and playing like The Legend of Zelda and on like 3DS and, and the more uh, accessible consoles now. So I feel like you're probably partly responsible for some of the, the retro um, style coming back into fashion. But how do you feel about the, uh, yeah, like the popularity of retro style games that are still being made today and do you i know that sometimes you'll check out these games but how do you feel about them in general oh about like uh when retro games come back or that they get re-released in like new packages and stuff uh like there was that ninja turtles cowabunga collection recently um stuff like that you're talking about uh more like indie developers that are inspired by those games and those art styles so we still get a lot of you know, games that are influenced by Castlevania and by Legend of Zelda. Um, like Tunic is a, okay. is a game that's just come out that's very inspired by Legend of Zelda. You have like games that just are almost like spiritual successes to to that generation of platformer or whatever it might be. Oh, okay. Yeah, like there's a game called Littlewood and it looks kind of like an old RPG, like a NES era. There's a... And are there, there's sometimes like games that are sort of like an older franchise. Like, wasn't there like uh, a blazing Chrome game that was like Contra and stuff like that? Yeah, there's, I guess that there's, it's so much easier for indie developers to make a game with a small team now. And the, the tools are so accessible compared to, you know, 20 years ago that people can make a game that is true to that style the pixel art yeah the, yeah the tune music like, like shovel knight's a good example as well uh yeah i just wonder if you're glad that people still are interested in in playing and making those kinds of games because they seem to have a special place in your heart still playing them 30 plus years later oh yeah yeah uh brings to mind uh sam who you know makes the avgn games it's all like you know retro themed side scrolling and all that and I know a lot of people who are doing that sort of thing. So it's cool. Yeah, it's it's not something I expected, I guess, uh, but it makes perfect sense. It's like a lot of the people who design these grew up on those games. But uh, I don't know, when I was a kid, I would have never imagined anyone I knew making a video game. It just seemed kind of like some far out thing. Like, so it's, it's kind of brought the industry closer, I guess. It's cool. Yeah, I, I like it. And how do, how do you feel about modern games in general? I know you occasionally mm. will play like a, the new Mortal Kombat or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, when it comes to modern games, I, I feel like I always want to pick the right one to invest some time in because uh, I want to find a game that's going to appeal to me the most. And I'm, I'm always looking for a modern game uh, to do that because a modern game is able to be a little more realistic and more immersive and and that's the kind of thing i'm looking for is just be immersed like i i'm 
definitely more into like open world type of games, but I don't, I don't know what the right one is for me. Like, like Red Dead Redemption 2 is not the right one for me, just as an example. Like it, it's impressive, but it's just too involved and it's, I'm not really a fan of the time period when, uh, I mean, I like that time period when it's in a film or something, but not as a game. I'm like, okay, this is, I just wish that I could get into a car and, <laughs> you know, there's, it, it, it's just, you're limited with the, the, uh, the weaponry and the, uh, <laughs> I just kept wishing it was Grand Theft Auto the whole time. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like horror games. I, I like to be scared, you know, give me some kind of creepy first person game. So I don't know. I'm always looking for the the one that's gonna make me want to play it the most. Sure. And as we're talking as well, it's it's dawned on me that um, you know, you started off doing Nintendo NES reviews, and you know, the definition of retro over 20 years has changed. So, what do you see as retro, and how do you feel when people say that you know the GameCube and the, the PS2 are retro consoles now and and do you think that as the channel continues you'll start to play more modern games because they're getting so old yeah 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 yeah. like gamecube you could definitely call it retro now uh probably even um even we i mean i just did a per pals episode yeah yeah no they're 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 as old now as uh when I was reviewing Simon's Quest, like that is definitely within the same you know time span. So, yeah, I mean that's good. That means it's never going to run out. So there's always something more to do. But I don't know why. But for some reason, I always come back to reviewing NES. I don't know why, but it just has the right. It's the perfect fit for some reason. Yeah, I was just gonna say this. There's plenty more bad games uh, coming out all the time. So. <laughs> You'll you'll never be lacking content for for the nerd. Yeah, yeah. Even just NES alone, there's still so many. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, James, <laughs> thanks so much for giving me the time. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, I guess once again, thank you for all the content you've done. Thank you for being a positive force on the internet. Where you know, even though you were angry and throwing things and burning things and melting things it's um we, we know that deep down you're you're a nice guy so uh it, it makes it a lot more palatable in, in today's kind of toxic uh culture. yeah yeah oh, thank you <laughs> i appreciate that that's really cool I, I i like being that the jekyll and hyde character uh nice but then I, i'll be the nerd and then i the nerd is where i i be vicious and and angry at the old shitty games you know <laughs> and i guess if you want to let people know we're having like really weird delay problems with this call but we made it through we did it so <laughs> we did it we did it by the time they hear it they won't even be able to tell i'll uh i'll clean it right up but um yeah thanks again and um have a good one. Oh, cool yeah thank you thank you for listening and thanks to audio technica whether you've been here just for this episode or you've been here for all 150 160 whatever the number is it's meant so much to me for everyone that's encouraged and supported the show over this time if for some reason you're sad about the podcast ending subscribe to the hungry gamers podcast 
keep an eye out for the occasional drops of the Hungry Game Devs, which is going to be my sporadically releasing interview series with game developers as bonus episodes on the Hungry Gamers feed. I'm really looking to do a lot more in the video game space, so I think it's a great fit. Of course, you can catch me on social media at Jono himself, and for the last time, keep putting in work.